If you need a turnkey professional development and team building experience for your company or community, LeaderCast Events is your answer. We provide the guidance, technology, and entertaining CEU-accredited content for you to stream an in-person or virtual event for your team. Welcome to the LeaderCast Podcast, a weekly deep dive into the stories that transformed our guests into leaders worth following. I'm your host, Joe Boyd. Today on the LeaderCast Podcast, we talk to Chuck Mingo, the CEO of Undivided. Talk about some very serious things like racial reconciliation and secret addictions. And we also find out the very best cheesesteak in Philadelphia. It's going to be great. Chuck Mingo, welcome to the LeaderCast Podcast. How are you doing, man? Joe, I'm doing good, man. It's so good to see you and be with you and all your listeners. It's good to see you, too. You are... Uh, uh, such a valuable part of our of our LeaderCast community, and uh, you did a webinar with us uh, a while ago now that people still uh, email me about and say it's been super helpful and did a great onstage talk uh, for our Shift event. So thank you so much for being a part of this community. It's awesome. Hey, man, it's an awesome community. Yeah. It really is. Cool. So uh, if we get some practical advice out of this, it's great. But my hope for this uh, podcast is just to get to know you as a leader and really the specific things in your life and your story that made you the leader you are. And we can all sort of glean some some wisdom out of that, I think. We use like the hero's journey sort of motif because yeah. I think we're all on a similar journey, right? Where we, we uh, start off in like an ordinary world and everything's normal. And then at some point in our life, we get called to some sort of adventure by a mentor and that sets us on our way. And sometimes this, this works out in cycles in our lives. Uh, but it's, it's, it's never easy. We, we face challenges. We have to slay our own dragons and our mentors help us along the way. And eventually we'll get the treasure that we were looking for, or maybe something we didn't even know we were looking for. And we bring that treasure back to our ordinary world. And that's how we help, help each other be better and better leaders. And so we're going to kind of lay that motif over top of our conversation. Uh, and the first question I, I like to ask, uh, everyone and then it goes from there. But if you can take me back, what were you, Chuck? Did they always call you Chuck, or were you Charlie or Charles when you were like a little kid? Well, well, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get real vulnerable here yeah. and tell you, Joe, that even as a 46 year old man, when I go back to Philadelphia, my family calls me Chucky. Chucky, that's I love what it. They call me <laughs> Chucky. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying that in public. Now people are gonna come up to me and call me Chucky. But uh, yes, I'm I'm still Chucky because my dad was Charles. Yeah, and I was. I was I wasn't technically a junior, so it was always Chucky in my family. <laughs> Man, I'm right there with you. I'm Joey uh, to Are my you? aunts and uncles. Yeah, <laughs> I remember when I was. Uh, I remember the moment in eighth grade on a math test. I dropped the Y and put Joe because I'm like I'm a grown up. That's right. I don't That's need right. a Y. I'm an eighth grader. <laughs> I'm an eighth grader now. And uh, we're not super close with my dad's side of the family. And my my wife met some of my aunts and uncles just a few years ago. We've been married like 20 years. We went back because yeah, my wow. grandmother passed away for like her uh, celebration of life thing. And these people that hadn't seen me since I was like nine or 10 years old were calling me Joey. And my kids thought it was oh, the yeah. most hilarious thing ever. So anyway, <laughs> uh, mm. let's go back and let's let's in our minds time travel back to Chucky, uh, age yeah. eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. I'm curious, what what sort of stories were you into? Like what TV, movies, books, uh, what adventure stories or hero stories were catching your imagination early on? Yeah, well, I'm sure this one will resonate with you with the name Joey yeah. um, <laughs> or Joe. Man, I was big into G.I. Joe. I yeah. mean, you know, I, I grew up in that time when, you know, that was kind of like 
we didn't have cable TV. And so, you know, you had, you had to actually be home at the right time to watch your favorite shows That's or else right. you missed it. Right. And so, you know, after school, <laughs> I don't know what time four, four thirty. it was time for GI Joe. And so I was very much into GI Joe. I remember, I remember getting a Rambo knife, you know, you could get oh, this, yeah. you could order a, a mail online Rambo knife. You open it up and had fishing net in it and all this stuff that I'd never used, a compass on top. You know, I lived in Philly. I lived in the city. <laughs> I, I didn't have much need for a compass and I didn't have much need for fishing. Teams. You just need a knife. Fishing wire. I just need a knife. I just <laughs> want a knife. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, that's what I was into is kind of um, maybe not, you know, I, I certainly had my superhero favorite. Superman was a favorite, but like GI Joe, man, this idea of like men, um, and women, obviously, Scarlet. Had, uh, female characters. Uh, yeah, Scarlet, <laughs> you know, that could actually like get the thing done and do it as a team. Like I was really into that. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So Storm Shadow or Snake Eyes? You know what? Storm Shadow, man. Yeah. I was, I was not a fan of Snake Eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Although the movie was pretty impressive, I have to say. I did see the Snake Eyes movie and I was, I was pretty impressed with it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wore my Snake Eyes uh, or my uh, Storm Shadow uh, figurine guy out because he did all the karate moves. So his legs got all that's wobbly. Right. And stuff. That's right. Um, well, I love that, man. And that puts, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting, uh, cause it is about a team, right? There is no actual, I don't think there's not a guy named Joe, right? It's like, the whole, right. it's no, like the, whole team. Yeah. the whole crew was Joe, right? <laughs> I think early on in our parents' generation, there might've been, but, uh, yeah. so it, it's a kind of part of being part of this, uh, this super team, uh, caught your, caught your imagination. That's interesting. It really did, man. Yeah. And, I, and I think I've always been that way. You know, I was, I was the kid that always wanted to play team sports. Um, I was the kid that kind of envisioned always being, you know, of course in my mind, I was always the quarterback sure. who was going to be taking, <laughs> taking the team down the field and winning the game. Like that's always been a part of who I am. Yeah. So I know a little bit about your career cause we've been, uh, friends for a while, but I actually don't know a ton about early on. Uh, yeah. So uh, what was what was it like growing up? What what was Chucky going through? And when, as you became Chuck yeah. Mingo, uh, <laughs> what what were your early aspirations? What if we talk about treasure language? Like when you were in middle school, high school, what what kinds of things were you dreaming about? What were you hoping to do? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, man. So uh, grew up in like I said, grew up in Philadelphia in the city. Um, my mom and dad. Um, you know, were just kind of anchors in my life. And my dad worked for the city, worked for the water department. And so my dad had a job that caused him to have to get up super early in the morning, um, work really hard, use his hands, be outside and, you know, come home and yet found a way to always be present for me and all the things that were going on in my life. Um, and so I had, you know, four older siblings, significantly older siblings, yeah. um, including my oldest brother, who's 21 years older than me. His, na his name is Harvey. Wow. I call him Skip. Um, but so, you know, so he and I, when I was little, I mean, he was he wasn't around. He, was, he didn't live in the house and yeah. you know, all of that. But um, but he really became kind of a key person in my life around the age of 13. And I think in many ways, he began to give me an imagination of what was possible beyond um, Philadelphia and even beyond school. My, my parents valued education, so they always talked to me about going to college. But my brother was the first to do it. Yeah. And my brother was in finance, had lived in Pittsburgh. And I remember when I was 13 years old, my brother started writing me letters. You know, this is pre uh, cell phones, right? Yeah. Pre-texting. He'd write me letters. And so I remember, Joe, when I got <laughs> to high school, I was a pretty good athlete you know, kindergarten through eighth grade, one of the best players on the basketball team, soccer, all that kind of stuff. And then I went to a really large high school and I got cut from the JV basketball team. Yeah. 
And I was devastated. <laughs> I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't even make the JV team. You know, my basketball career is over. And my brother, I remember him writing me a letter and talking about how to deal with failure, you mm. know, and, and he just began to write these letters to me. He was the first one to tell me about the SAT and, hey, this is an important test that's coming up. Um, I remember him coming down to Philly and hanging out with me and buying my first <laughs> pair of like khakis from the Gap and a tie, you know, just like that was just who he was in my life. And yeah. so through this relationship, I really began to get a vision for something beyond what was my day-to-day experience in Philadelphia. And so if you'd have asked, you know, maybe not eight, nine-year-old Chucky, but certainly <laughs> uh, 13, 14-year-old Chuck, I wanted to be a business guy like my brother. I, I wanted to be in finance. I, I wanted to go to college and get a business degree. So that kind of became the thing that animated me um, in my in my high school years, for sure, and then going into college. I actually did go to college in Pittsburgh where he lived and Got yeah. that finance degree. Obviously, that's not where my career ended up, as you know. Right. But um, yeah, that was a really formative time for me. My brother really investing in me and helping me to see something beyond where I was. Yeah. So kind of your, the first minutes were outside of your parents that really had. He really was. Really was. Yeah. He that's, really was. Uh, mm-hmm. As an only child, I get a little jealous, man. That's 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 a real gift when uh, when you have yeah. siblings that can step in like that. That's awesome. It really is, uh, man. It really so is. I asked two time travel questions. So the first one, mm-hmm. we went back in time. But now now imagine, uh, let, let's say like the 12, 13, 14-year-old version of you. If they mm-hmm. could just see you right now and what yeah. you're doing, I wonder what, what, what things do you think they would be like proud of you? And is there anything they'd be like, what's he doing, man? I can't believe yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I, I think the twelve, I think the twelve to thirteen year old would be really disappointed in my lack of athletic prowess right now. I think they, I think they, had a, they would say we just want so much more. We thought we had so much potential. I think they'd be disappointed. Yeah. Um, I am sometimes disappointed in that. So I think that would be true. Um, but I also think they would look at my life um, and they'd be curious on how did you become a pastor? Because what I didn't say about growing up is I also grew up in a family of faith and there are a ton of pastors in my family. Yeah. Um, and I remember again, when I was, when I was eight, nine year old Chucky, for sure, I had a lot of people saying, we see this in you, you're going to be a pastor. We think you're, you know, use this churchy term, you're called to ministry. Uh-huh. And um, man, I didn't want any parts of that. <laughs> I didn't want any parts of that, uh, mainly because I thought pastors were poor and didn't make a lot of money. And so um, I just wanted something different. And yeah. so I think that 12 to 13 year old person would wonder, how did you wind up doing this? And of course, there's a whole story behind that, which you know I'm sure we'll get into a little bit here. But yeah, um, yeah I think they'd be curious about that. I think they'd look at my family, though. They'd look at my wife and and kids and say, yeah, we, we kind of saw that. You know, we, we, yeah. we figured that's what was in the future for us. At least that's what we hoped was in the future for us. Yeah. Um, and so I think that would be some of the things they would ask about and be curious about. All right. Empower yourself and your team to tackle some of the most difficult leadership challenges and grow professionally with LeaderCast Now. The LeaderCast Now app and online platform provide you access to more than 1,000 video lessons to help you navigate issues like change management, remote working guidelines, emotional intelligence, workplace conflict, negotiating, and more. Visit LeaderCastNow.com for more info. Cool. So yeah, so uh, we'll get into some of the details, but uh, do I have your general career sort of like you went to college and then did you go straight to Procter and Gamble and worked in corporate world? And from yep. r- from out of that, then you you went on to Crossroads Church and were teaching pastor right. stuff, right? So That's can right. you just walk us through how um, 
what were the turning points in your life that uh, that kind of got you there, like got, got you from the corporate world to to church church life? Yeah, it's really interesting. So um, I you know, always grew up in the church, and so that was always a part of my life. Um, but I never saw it as part of my vocation until I got out of college. And so, you know, truthfully, I remember coming to my, I went to a very small church in Philadelphia. My aunt was the pastor. And I remember when I was coming back from college, she was excited and thinking that I was going to probably do what I had been doing a little bit of in high school, which is leading our youth ministry. Yeah. And I remember going to her house and sitting down with her and uh, her name was, uh, her name was Doris. So Aunt Doris (laughs) to me and saying, Hey, Aunt Doris, I'm, I'm back in town. Um, but I just want you to know, I am not going to be leading the youth at our church. Yeah. I got a finance degree. I can help the church. We have this thing in black church called a trustee, which is a person who actually helps with the finances of yeah. the church. And I was like, I can do that. Um, but I don't want to do anything with the young people. And she was just like, look, whatever, babe, that's fine. You know, I'm just glad you're home, whatever. Well, that lasted all of about three weeks. <laughs> and in this church where many of the young people were literally my family, younger yeah. cousins, yeah. I just saw that there wasn't anything for them. And so I began to really, you know, just do group studies at, you know, my house or at the church. And, and that evolved into doing, you know, kind of weekend teaching for the Sundays where we would be focused on youth. And, and it just kind of evolved from there. And I think it was, Joe, probably about a year or so into my career at PNG, so, you know, working in pharmaceutical sales by day, um, doing youth ministry by night, if you will, that I really began to reckon with the fact that maybe, maybe there is a calling for me and hmm. at least communicating God's truth in that way. Maybe it's not like being a pastor or leading a church, but but this aspect of, you know, teaching the Bible, like maybe there's something there for me. And so um, I was in a habit of going to a retreat center, Blue Mountain Christian Retreat Center. And it was like an hour or so outside of Philly in the Pocono yeah. Mountains. And one weekend I went up there because I really was wrestling with this decision about do I – Am I wrong in being in corporate America? Like, do, is, am I supposed to go to ministry? You know, and so I was kind of up there to spend a weekend reflecting on that. And one of the things that came out of that weekend very clearly was do not go to seminary, at least not yet. And the reason was because I would have been a pretty arrogant um, <laughs> theology student uh, learning Greek and Hebrew and all the good stuff. Um, but there was a lot of character formation in my life that still needed to happen. Yeah. I was in no, I was in no state to lead anybody. Well, that really takes a lot of wisdom because as someone who went to seminary, most of those people do go there because you meet a lot of those <laughs> folks. I'm just saying, but that's yeah, right. good, that's a right. good wise decision there. Yeah. Well, it was a hard decision. <laughs> uh, but how about about a week after that decision is when I got the promotion at PNG that moved me out to Cincinnati. Okay. Yeah. And so little did I know that obviously that was going to take me on that path of yeah. being a pastor, yeah. but only after, I call it my wilderness wandering years, like yeah. only after my wilderness wandering years. We talk about, uh, and I take this from Richard Rohr, who's been really impactful with me uh, yeah. through the years. He's probably not the first one to uh, to say it, but he talks about life as sort of, you go from order to disorder to reorder. And that sounds like maybe your disorder stage a little bit. Absolutely. He he also talks about how pain, it's usually, it's usually pain either caused from the outside or from a failure of ourselves that really propels us on to like sort of what's next in our lives. Um, I'm curious in that time period, was there, were there any like clear failures 
in your career or your life or Absolutely. pain that came into your life that helped expedite some of this, this stuff? Absolutely, man. I mean, I, I you know, I, I've shared this story publicly and so, you know, happy to share it again. I, um, you know, when I got out of college, I had a degree. Um, I went back to the church and was trying to, you know, follow Jesus. Mm. And I also had this hidden life of really being addicted to pornography. Mm. And, you know, as I was having success in kind of the business space and having a level of, you know, growing leadership and influence in the church, um, there was this part of me that just was broken and was just not really being healed. And um, part of the journey for me also includes um, proposing to my then girlfriend. And about three months before we were married, I was actually at a place where I was, I was in Cincinnati and I was going to be leaving PNG to go and work at Crossroads um, Church. And that's when I really got found out for this mm. um, sexual addiction that had evolved even beyond pornography to engaging with people at that point. Yeah. And um, man, I, 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 that was the lowest point of my life. You talk about mentors. Um, there's a guy named James, James Mary, and he, he knew about my struggle, but like, you know, when I really went off the wagon, like I had to, I knew I had to come clean with him and I'll never forget Joe being in his basement. And I'm realizing in his basement that, um, obviously not going to be working at crossroads. I had already resigned from PNG, so I may be unemployed. Um, and then, oh, by the way, this woman who thought she knew who she was marrying in three months obviously doesn't and is probably not going to marry me. And I feel like I've let Jim down. I feel like I've let everybody down. Um, and I'm in his basement and I'm just laying it all out being as honest and as vulnerable as I can. I remember feeling like, you know, he has every right to read me the riot act because he's been investing in me spiritually. Like, you know, I'm proposing to be this kind of spiritual guy, you know, all that. Yeah. He had every reason to do that. And Joe, what he did in his basement, I'll never forget. He looked at me and he said, hey, I want you to know something. I want you to know that your identity as a son of God does not change because of this. And in God's eyes, you're dressed in royal robes. He just began to affirm me. And it was just this crazy contradiction of how I was feeling, which was like crap. Yeah. With what he was saying, oh, no, no, but this is who you are. And really what he was doing was preparing me for the hardest journey of my life at that point, which was the journey of healing, right? The journey of saying, now you got to face this dragon. Now you now you got to face this addiction. And so, man, I, I think about my life, and I've, I've, I've often said this, I grew up in church and I had a profound experience of Jesus. I believe that. I got baptized when I was eight years old. Um, what I'm describing to you happened when I was 26. And I've said, I don't know if I was a follower of Jesus at eight. I know for sure I met Jesus when I was 26. Yeah, yeah. Because at 26, it wasn't about my religious striving anymore. It was about receiving grace. And, you know, that, that girlfriend who dealt with that betrayal um, has been my wife for 20 years. And we've had to walk through a lot of difficult things, as you can imagine. That's been a healing journey for us. But but I just realized, like, everything that I have from that point – I got my job back at P&G, by the way. Like, everything I got from that point to this point has been an act of grace. And it, it's, it's fundamentally changed who I am. Hmm. And it's continuing to change who I am. Well, I know you said you said that before, but th thanks for being vulnerable and letting us letting us know that that's uh, – yeah, you know, I think it's something whether it's whether it's that exact example or not. Uh, we we all have the ability, and I guess we all learn to cope with our own stuff, right? And, and part of that is hiding it, um, and it can be lots of different things. And uh, there is, uh, 
a freedom that comes going through that pain for sure, but it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't make it necessarily easy. Um, I really appreciate, appreciate you saying that. And I think the, um, you know, it's interesting at leader, leadercast we have, uh, some of our folks come from a faith background, some don't and all sorts of different faiths, as you know, across the board. Um, but I think regardless of your background, you, you can resonate with, we all have like, I don't know what uh, Roar, Richard Roar calls them containers that we live in, right? That are given to us by our parents and our friends and our culture. And, and it helps shape who we are. And it's, it's a really good thing, but it also creates uh, kind of unspoken rules that, that, you, mm-hmm. that are, you're not supposed to, not supposed to talk about, right? Um, and right. so, uh, yeah, for sure, part of our journey is being able to take the risk to, to be vulnerable in those areas. Mm-hmm. So as you, um, as you think about your career then and going, so you, you end up at some point you end up being a teaching pastor, at one of the biggest churches in America, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, which uh, I've had a similar job. It's pretty great. I'm mean, for being mm-hmm. honest, it's a pretty mm-hmm. good gig. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are mm-hmm. parts of it that are stressful for sure. But um, yeah. you, I'm kind of jumping away forward now, but you, you had a pretty good gig and, and, uh, and then it sounds like uh, you were invited to something new or different again with, uh, with undivided. So talk to me about that. Was that, I assume that might be a little bit of a calling out of maybe comfort to some, to a stretch, but am am I reading that right? When I, when you think about that, you are reading that right. You're you're reading that right. My friend, um, you know, it's 20, 2022 as we're recording this and to think about God calling you to a place to lead people to talk about race and racism uh, is a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and it was for me too. I mean, you know, I, so, you know, I mean, obviously as a, as African-American man, there's a sense in which my lived experience has been navigating a majority white world. Um, and, you know, that's true for me because of you know, corporations that I've worked at and churches I've been a part of and just all of that college, all of those things. Um, but I think early on um, there was a sense in which I began to, understand that like diversity wasn't just a politically correct thing, but that there's a real power to it. Um, that, you know, the best organizations that perform well are going to perform well because they have diversity of thought, diversity of race, they have the diversity. I mean, all the data is very clear on that. Um, but as I think about 2015 in particular, which is when I really started to feel this stir, then things in you know things in our country were just not in a good place. I mean, this would have been um, a year after Ferguson, and so for those you know who are familiar mm-hmm. with um, the officer who shot Michael Brown there, and just that whole case and what that did in terms of public outcry, um, and then you started having all of these other incidents happening in our country around um, race, whether it was with police or other dynamics, and I just really was feeling like, man, I, as a pastor. I feel like, you know, this is something that the church at large should be speaking into. And it just seemed like people were struggling to do that. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't really necessarily want to do that either. Yeah. But um, God just continued to work on my heart until it was like this. I couldn't avoid it. And so at Crossroads, we do this thing called a journey. And a journey is everybody's focused on one topic and everybody's in small groups kind of processing it. You're learning individually and the weekends are about it. And that week, that year in 2015, it was the brave journey. And the brave journey was all about this uh, story in the Bible where, you know, there's a storm 
and Jesus' closest friends, his disciples are on the boat and they're just like, we're going to die. This is great. You know, we're gonna die. And, and, and Jesus shows up walking on the water. And again, whether you believe this actually happened or not, I think the analogy is really interesting. Yeah. In the midst of the storm with Jesus walking on the water, he invites one of his disciples, Peter, his followers, to do the same thing. So you can imagine what it took in terms of courage or bravery for Peter to get out of the boat. So the vision that we have for the journey was, what's that in your life? We wanted people to kind of think about where's that precipice in your life where you're invited to take a brave step. Um, And I don't know what I thought it was going to be, but the thing that just began to stir in me very clearly was it was about race. It was about being a voice for racial healing, solidarity and justice from within the church for the city of Cincinnati. That's the way I was thinking about it. And so – you know, in the midst of that, over the next nine months, Undivided was born. But I remember three months, just to be, just to kind of clarify. So Undivided is this um, it, yeah. organization that fuels and powers living undivided and working undivided. And those are six-week experiences where we get people into mixed race groups. And they have a set of experiences and conversations in small groups and in large groups that really open people's eyes to the narrative of race. Um, you know, we're doing the faith-based version of that with faith kind of undergirding that. But we also now are doing this in corporations and organizations like Kroger and others around the country. Um, and then there's experiences that people have that kind of catalyze them on how can I be um, active in the work of racial healing and justice in my community? That's, that's, what, that's what Undivided does. Um, and I remember like having this calling and sharing it with 20,000 of my closest friends at the church <laughs> um, And not knowing really what that meant, but people were in, people were excited. And then three months after that, you'll remember this as someone living in Cincinnati, we had an officer involved shooting at the University of Cincinnati. So five miles from where I was pastor. So all of a sudden, this wasn't an abstract issue out there. We We were living it as a church. We were living it in our community. And I remember when the body cam footage was gonna be released that day. Um, of Samuel DeBose being shot by um, Officer Ray Tenzing of the University Police, University of Cincinnati Police. And Joe, I remember being in a room at Crossroads with other pastors and staff people. And I remember feeling both, and I think I may have even talked about this at LeaderCast, I felt both um, uh, together, but also uniquely alone. Yeah. And the reason wasn't because no one else in that room cared. We were all heartbroken. Um, but as the only black man in the room, I just knew no one else in that room was going to be called to kind of navigate and lead our church in this work, not because they didn't care and certainly not because they didn't qualify, but because I just felt this deep calling. Yeah. And I would say that was my get out of the boat moment where I realized this, this work is costly work. It's not easy, but I'm called to it and I have to commit. I really have to commit. And so in 2020, that wound up being the full commit of stepping away from, I'm still a teaching pastor at Crossroads, but stepping away from leading the campus and stepping away from a lot of my other church responsibilities to to launch a startup organization so that we could take this work across the country. And I'll just tell you, um, I never wanted to be a startup. I never wanted to have CEO <laughs> after my name. I never, 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 never. I can give you a bunch of nevers. Um, and yet that's the space I find myself in. Um, it feels very um, risky. It feels very uncertain. And I know it's exactly where I'm supposed to be in this season of my life. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you that know you, it's pretty clear that that's true. I do think you're where you're supposed to be. And I would challenge you a little bit because maybe, maybe Chucky or at least 13 year old Chuck wanted to be a CEO. 
He, he might have, yeah. He wanted so, to own something, that's right. for sure. <laughs> that is weird. I mean, that is the that is the journey, right? You go for this treasure you think you think you want, and you end up getting sort of the heart of it, really, in a totally different, redeemed, unexpected way. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I admire the work you do, and I, I I love that you're true to yourself, and that you can do it in a faith based way. With uh, and also, I know there are. I don't know. I don't know if you. Uh, I'm not going to name drop all your clients, but I know you've got some some significant influential corporations that are going through your stuff. And that that makes me when I wake up in the morning, I feel just a little bit better about the world, knowing that you're out there doing that stuff uh, in those very influential places. Um, we talk about being a leader worth following as what we're trying to do here at LeaderCast. To me, that's yeah. that's it, man. And, and I know um, it hasn't gotten any less political or less challenging. Right. In the last couple not of years. Yeah. Yeah. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, man, this has been uh, amazing. Is there, uh, if, if folks want to connect, so maybe a lot of folks listening or watching this uh, might want to bring you into their organization or something like that. What, yeah. What's the best mm-hmm. thing folks can do to get in touch with you? Absolutely. You can, you can contact us at undivided.com. Um, if you are kind of a corporation organization, go to workingundivided.com. You can find us there. And you can find me on social channels. So at Chuck Mingo is where I am on Twitter and Instagram, which is where I spend most of my social media time. Um, and you can also find me at um, Chuck D. Mingo at Facebook if you're still using Facebook. And I'm on LinkedIn as well and would love to talk with any of you, uh, you out there because I, I, I'm learning. I am learning so much in this space. And if nothing else, I'd love to learn alongside other leaders yeah. um, and get their perspective on what is working, what isn't working and how we can make the world a better place in this way. That's awesome. I just got Chucky Mingo on all the social sites. <laughs> you so, did. You did. Yeah, I'm going to start. I'm going to start an all three. That's for my rebirth. That's for my rebirth. That's right. <laughs> uh, okay. I want to conclude with two, a serious question and then just kind of a fun question. Then we'll end it this Great. way. So uh, the serious question and very practical now. So um, what, what do you encourage folks to do as like the first action item? Let's keep it in like the, the world of you as a leader uh, who's, who's feeling a nudge to step out of the boat, to use your analogy, on the, on the issues of race in their organization or with their influence. Uh, if, if I feel that today, what in the world would I do first thing in the morning to start down yeah. that journey? What's, what's a good first action step? Yeah, man. I, can I get two? Yep. Number one is ask yourself, do I have the right people with me for this leg of the journey? Because I will tell you the through line of my story are the mentors and the peers that have strengthened me and encouraged me. And so if you're if you're thinking about weighing or weighing something big, I would say, man, look at your look at your network of, of friends, the people that you're doing life with. And, you know, are they are they the kind of people that can walk with you through where you're going? And if not. I think you have some tough questions to ask yeah. around how do I create space for those kinds of relationships? Or who, who do I need to pare down or whittle away? I think that's a really important aspect of it. And the other thing I would share is something that has been helpful to me, not original to me. I think that I, I heard it from Todd Henry, who I think we both know, but I think Todd Henry was referencing Jeff Bezos, um, who talks about a 10 year window for decisions. Hmm. You know, as I was thinking about, do I get out of the boat or not? The question I had to ask myself is 10 years from now, would I be more comfortable saying I had this vision, I felt like I was supposed to step into the race conversation at a really tricky and difficult time, but I didn't do it? Or would I actually be okay 10 years from now saying 
I had this vision. I felt like I was supposed to step into it. You know what? It didn't work out. We did some great stuff for two, three years. I got to be on LeaderCast podcast with Joey Boyd. You know, I, but, but like it, it's, it's no longer a thing. And I had to come to peace with the fact that even if it doesn't work, even if this isn't the thing, I would rather 10 years from now say I stepped out of that boat than I stayed and did nothing. And so that's the other thing I'd encourage your, your listeners to think about. I love it. You said it way better than I could have, but that's the way I was thinking when I decided to to join LeaderCast, you know, because mm-hmm. my career was a little comfortable too. And it really yeah. was. I, I'm going to regret this if I don't do it. I feel like I'm supposed to do this. Okay, the phone question. Uh, we try to tie it in every time to your – so it's it's Duke and Scarlet and Gung-Ho. All right, Those, that's your nice. G.I. Joe crew. You're going to do a road trip from Cincinnati to Philly, and you arrive at, at dinner time. Where are you taking them to eat oh. in Philly? Oh, man. Well, first of all, you know what we're eating is cheesesteaks. You know that. You know that. The best I'm going to take them to the best that I know. I'm gonna take them. I'm gonna take them to Jim's on South Street in Philadelphia. Right. We're gonna go to Jim's Cheesesteaks, South Street. It's gonna change their life. It's gonna get all the energy they need to fight Cobra for the rest of their life. Is gonna come from that cheesesteak. So at least the calories they need are gonna come from that cheesesteak. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this was awesome, man! Thank you so much. You know, now we know a lot, and as you know, knowing is half, half the battle. battle. That's right. So. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. You're the best. Uh, thanks for your time. We'll talk to you soon. This is so good, Joe. Have a good one, man. Leadership is a team sport, but team sports are hard. That's why our team is so passionate about helping companies and communities develop leaders and teams that trust each other to do the hard work together. One of the easiest ways to develop your teams and leaders is to stream a half-day or full-day LeaderCast event for your workplace or community. World-class content that is thought-provoking and activating. Visit us at LeaderCast.com to find out more.